We're continuing our series, Red, and we are catching up with Jesus on this road trip that he's on. I feel like we should have named this series Road Trip. Uh, we've just been following him on this road trip, and that might have been a better name, but oh well. It's not about the name. It's about the word, baby. So here we go. John chapter 11. Now, you've, you've probably heard this passage before about Lazarus, and uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting passage, and one of the things that's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say humorous to me, but uh, I don't know, maybe weird to me, is I feel like the only time I ever hear this passage preached is at funerals. And I don't know if you've been to many funerals. Hopefully you haven't had to go to too many funerals. Uh, but I feel like when this is taught at funerals, I feel like this is kind of one of the choice passage, passages taught at funerals because it teaches, you know, how to deal with grief uh, when you lose somebody or how to deal with grief in the midst of sorrow, how to, how to have hope in the midst of a tough time. And, and though that message is totally there, I really think that what we're going to see tonight and see happen in John 11 goes so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than maybe what we see on the surface. And I think that we're going to see some people in the text tonight who maybe realize later on what they just experienced with Jesus goes a lot deeper than what they were thinking it was going and thinking what it was meaning and what he was saying when it all happened. In so many ways, I feel like this story mirrors the greater picture of restoration and redemption that is happening in our lives as we speak. So, John chapter 11, beginning in verse one. Here we go. Are y'all ready? Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. All right, so you get the setting right off the bat. The setting is a town named Bethany. Now, Bethany was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That's important information. So it's basically a suburb of Jerusalem, all right? And so this is happening in Bethany. You, 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 we find out where it's happening, but we also find out who some of the main players are in the story tonight. You hear the two names, Mary and Martha, two names that you've heard before. You probably recognize them from some other stories. They tell one story, Luke, or John writes of one of those stories here. Mary was the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet in the next chapter. But, but you also recognize these two from a story that happens in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus was hanging out with Mary and Martha in their home there in Bethany. And Martha's in the kitchen trying to be hospitable and cook up some food for Jesus while Mary is sitting in there at Jesus' feet just chatting it up. And so Martha and Mary get in this little fight. Martha comes in, starts complaining, why am I doing all the work? This little cat fight breaks out and then Jesus kind of gets in between them, breaks it up, and uh, you know, they keep on going. Now Lazarus is the other guy that you see in this, in this uh, picture. And Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. And verse three tells us what's going on. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus is sick. But when Lazarus gets sick, Jesus is not in Bethany with Mary and Martha. All right? This is the end of his road trip. Bethany is basically Jerusalem. He's not quite there yet. He's on the other side of the Jordan River, which is about a day's worth of travel away. So when, when Mary and Martha sent word to, or when they told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, it wasn't like they said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You know, go down the street and tell him that and come back to their house. They instead, like old school ancient postal service style, they, they wrote this little letter and they folded it up and gave it to a messenger, whoever that was, and told the messenger to take it to Jesus. So this messenger takes off with this message to Jesus, gets to Jesus, hands Jesus this letter, stands there while Jesus opens the letter and reads it. And when he reads it, it says, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And so listen to what Jesus says in response. And what he says sets the stage for where we're going tonight. Verse four says, when he, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. 
Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now go back to that first verse again there. Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. This is a very ironic statement. And I want you to see why it's very ironic. What we're gonna see here in a minute about verse 17, when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, it says that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Bethany was where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was. So when he finally gets there, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now Bethany was about a day's worth of travel away from Jerusalem. So Mary and Martha, they write this little note, message for Jesus, they give it to this messenger, the messenger takes off with this message, takes them about a day to get to where Jesus is. Now it says in the text here that after Jesus gets this message, he waits for two days before he does anything. So on the third day, he and his disciples, they get up and they leave and they head towards Bethany. So by the time that they get to Bethany, it had been almost exactly four days from the time the messenger had left Mary and Martha and sick Lazarus to bring Jesus the message. Are you following me? So here's what this means. Lazarus had to have died, if he was already dead for four days, Lazarus had to have died almost, almost right after this messenger had left with this message from Mary and Martha saying that Lazarus was sick. So the irony in this statement is, when Jesus says this sickness will not end in death, Lazarus is already dead. And this changes everything. Because the issue being dealt with here is, is, is way worse than anyone realizes yet. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm gonna take this sick guy and heal him, make him feel better. What he's saying is, I'm gonna take this guy who is dead and I'm gonna bring him back to life. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a moment before we go any further because this is one of those statements, this is one of those discoveries that you have to let percolate in your mind for a little bit. Let it sit in the crock pot. All right, and as it's sitting there, think about this, okay? We've, we've read some other stories about Jesus already. And we've seen, it, it at least makes you think, Jesus could have healed this guy. Like when he gets the message from, from this guy, from the messenger, he could have right then and there healed Lazarus, even though he wasn't in the same town. You know, we see some stories throughout scripture where a guy comes to Jesus and says, my son back home is sick. Will you come with me to heal him? And Jesus says, no need for me to come. Uh, go back home and he'll be healed when you get there. He can heal from a distance. So, I mean, you, you think he could have done that, but you also, uh, you also think, you know, he could have, let me back up. He, he wasn't caught off guard by the fact that he got this message about Lazarus. Jesus already knew that Lazarus had been sick. And so, I mean, he could have healed Lazarus before he even got the message. He could have just healed Lazarus before he died. But he doesn't. And so, like, as I'm reading this, I'm sitting here thinking, why? I mean, as we're reading this, as we're studying this, like, that, that question, why does he not deal with it in that way when he could have very well easily done that? That question, why, should, like, totally be bothering you. I mean, why doesn't he just go ahead and heal this dude? I mean, in the past two stories we've read of him healing people, when these people came to him asking for healing, what does he do? He heals them right then and there. He doesn't wait. So, so, so why? Why does he wait like he does? Why does it all play out and happen like he does? And I want us to see that tonight. Like that, that's, that's the question we're dealing with tonight. So verse four, he says, the sickness will not end in death. 
He says, no, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, it sounds like Jesus answers this question, why, that we're asking here. Jesus says, no, the reason this sickness will not end in death is because, or it is so that God's glory, or it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, I want to stop here and say this. This is the story of the Bible, all right? This is not a self-help book. This is not a book whose central goal is to make sure that you have your best life right now. I mean, in a consumer-driven society where all advertising and all marketing is directed at the individual and their needs and their wants, and even like comes behind those needs and wants and says, yeah, those really are legitimate needs. And, and those wants aren't just wants, those are needs. In a, in a society that does that, I mean, like you need the Snuggie with the little book reading light that comes with it. And if you order right now, we'll give you two for only you know, $9.99. Like in that kind of consumer-driven society, it's hard to get away from that mindset that says, it is all about me. And it's all about you. In fact, it's almost like heresy to say it's not all about you. It's almost like heresy to say it's not all about me. And so what happens is we take the same mentality to Scripture. And since everything else is about us, we think that this is about us as well, but it's not. I mean, you look from Genesis to Revelation, this entire book is about God receiving glory. It's all about him. Give me more glory. Give me more glory. I want glory. And, and you might be asking the question, okay, so Austin, that sounds extremely, extremely selfish and uh, hypocritical. Because, you know, all throughout Scripture, Jesus, and all throughout Scripture, God is teaching his people to kill their pride and, and, and for it to not be about themselves, to not be selfish, but to be selfless. And so here's God, like, teaching that, but then doing something different. How does that work? I mean, that's, that's selfish, to which I would respond, absolutely, it's very selfish. But let me ask you this question. If God were to give glory to somebody or something else other than him, like, like who would he give glory to that was worth getting glory? And you take it another step further. If God were to give glory to someone else or something else, then essentially what he, what he would be doing is elevating that person or that thing above himself, which would then make that God and not him, so he would no longer be God. And, and so it sounds like He's answering this question, why? Why will this sickness not end in death? Well, so that people will see what Jesus is capable of and so that he'll become more popular, so that God's son will get the glory. But even when you hear that, even when you hear that, like you still, I feel like you still have this question of why. Like, why does he do it this particular way? Because think about it this way. We've got some basketball players in here tonight. Uh, in fact, I went to the TWU basketball game last night and they played against... My, uh, my alma mater, Washtenaw Baptist University, and absolutely took it to them, dominated them. So. Uh, and then UNT girls won last night as well. I don't think the guys played yesterday. I think they played tomorrow. But anyways, so thinking basketball terminology here, which by the way, did y'all see the OBU coach get so mad yesterday and throw his jacket on the ground? That was, that was awesome. Oh, nice. He went crazy. Those Christians. Um, so anyways, think about this. It, it, sounds like, it sounds like the question has been answered. Okay, so why will this sickness not end in death? You following me? But I still have the question, okay, why did he do it that way? There's other ways he could have done it. In fact, think about it like this. Which is cooler in a basketball game? Making a two-foot jump shot or making a shot from half court? Half court. Long distance is always cool. Plus, it's worth more points. And you think about it. Jesus did not have to go all the way to Bethany to heal this guy. He could have healed him from right there on the other side of the Jordan River. That would have been way cooler. God would have received just as much glory. Jesus would have received just as much praise and popularity from that. But think about this too. Which is better or which is cooler? 
to knock down the game-winning shot that goes in the bucket right before the buzzer buzzes and time expires, or to make a cool shot, but it be after the buzzer buzzes and time expires. Which is better? The first one. To make it before the buzzer buzzes. So, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, look, if Jesus had healed this guy before time expired, before he died, that would have been just as cool and even cooler. I mean, God would have received just as much glory. So, I mean, he kind of answers the question of, of what's the purpose of all this, but he doesn't answer my question of why does he choose to do it this way when there were other ways to do it and he could have gotten just as much glory for it. Are you following where I'm going? Okay, so, so after Jesus writes this down, he says, in his message back, you know, the messenger brings in the message, Lazarus is sick, okay? And he waits there while Jesus reads it and then Jesus, I guess, takes a little quill or pen or stone, maybe it's a stone tablet and knocks these, I don't know what he did, but cuts himself and, you know, writes in blood or whatever, but... He, he, he takes this letter and he writes a new one. And he says, uh, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Boom, gives the letter back to the messenger. And the messenger takes this letter back to Mary and Martha. Now I want you to imagine this. Mary and Martha, how, how must have they felt when they see this messenger coming back but no Jesus? Because they've sent out this desperate call for help this desperate plea to the one that they love so much, Jesus, and the one whom they thought loved them and Lazarus so much, fully expecting that he would get this letter, freak out, and come run into Bethany to save this guy's life. But instead, this messenger comes back. They see him off in the distance, only one dude, and he's not Jesus, they can tell. And he's coming back with this letter, and he, and he, and he gives it to him. Instead of Jesus coming back to help, he sends basically a get well card instead. Now, I gotta give Jesus props, because Jesus is a dude, and dudes don't do very well sentimental things and get well cards. In fact, shopping for get well cards is just about as bad as taking a shortcut through the makeup aisle at Walmart. That's why dudes always walk around that. Even if it's quicker to go through the makeup aisle, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna walk around it because that's just embarrassing. But Jesus, I gotta give him props because he does send a get well card back. Very nice thing, what he says. But to make things worse, after they get this message, by the time they get this get well card from Jesus, Lazarus is dead. And they, they've, they've already buried Lazarus. Because of the way Palestine was, it was hot and they didn't have any way to preserve a body so the dude dies. I mean, they, they wrap him up in these grave clothes right there, about 70 pounds worth of linen. They'd wrap him tight, you know, not individual arms and all that, just like, you know, one big wrap all the way around him. And, uh, and they throw him in a grave. They buried him already. So on top of that, Lazarus is already dead. And then they open the letter and they read it and, and the message inside says, Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. Like you wanna talk about brokenhearted. You want to talk about probably angry. And you want to talk about having some questions of why. Like, why have you responded like this, Jesus? Where is Jesus in all of this? And then they read further and it says, no, 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 this sickness won't end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What the heck? I would love to have seen their reaction and seen what they're thinking, seen what they had said in that situation. And you read on in verse five and it says that Jesus loved Martha and loved Mary and loved Lazarus and, and he did. They were like family. In fact, you, you can kind of tell from scripture by some of the interactions they have in Bethany before this and other times, the chances are when he would go to Jerusalem, he would stop in Bethany and stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were like bros. They were like sisters, uh, family. They hung out a lot together. Luke 10 is a perfect example of that. So it says he loved them. Yet, verse six, it says when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now that's absolutely crazy to me. Like Jesus, if you, really, if you really loved these people, 
then why didn't you like hop on a horse or hop on a donkey or something and, and get there? I mean, what would you do if you heard that your best friend or you heard that your grandmother was all of a sudden really sick and in the hospital? I mean, if they were in Dallas, you, would, you wouldn't even care. You'd get up in the middle of this and walk out and head to Dallas right now. You wouldn't wait. If they were in another state, you'd hop on a Southwest Airlines jet and $59 right now anywhere in the country and you'd fly to wherever they are. You wouldn't wait. But Jesus, he, he waits. And so like, again, this, this, this question, why doesn't he heal this guy already? I feel like there's all this unnecessary mourning and unnecessary grieving going on and unnecessary misunderstanding for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Are you seeing where I'm coming from? And he's causing this unnecessary like tension in their relationship with each other. And I love this part of the story because the tension is getting so hot. And it seems like something's gone wrong, but the reality is this is all part of his plan. So you read on to verse seven, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> he says, let us go back to Judea. And then they respond, they say, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're gonna go back there. So after two days, just chilling out after they received this letter, uh, Jesus says, all right, let's go. Let's, let's head back to Judea. And the reason he says Judea is because that's where Bethany was. But what else was near Bethany? Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, was two miles away. And so when Jesus proposes this plan to go back to Judea, the disciples stop and they're like, bro, are you crazy? Like last time we were there, last time you were there, they tried to kill you. In fact, if you looked at John 8, 58 to 59, it says, I tell you the truth, Jesus is talking. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am, I mean, he's talking for, for them, that was super crazy heresy. And so verse 59 says, at this, they, the Jews, they picked up stones to stone him, try and kill him. But Jesus got away. Then, then John chapter 10, again, it says, the Jews picked up stones, tried to stone him. Both of these events took place in Jerusalem. And if Jesus goes back to Jerusalem, this is bound to happen again. Like they're gonna be waiting for him. Once they hear he's coming, boom, they're gonna go find rocks and just hide in the trees or hide in the sand or whatever's out there and wait to pelt him when he comes into town. And so the disciples have gotta be thinking, this fool has lost his mind. But then Jesus responds, and look at what he says, verse nine, it says, Jesus answered, are there not, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by the night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Now I wanna just quickly like deal with this. It, you can't help but read this and see the comparison between light and dark, Jesus and Satan, Jesus and evil, all throughout scripture. Jesus is referred to the light. Truth is referred to as the light. Come into the light. Be free of the darkness. Come into the light. Whatever's hidden in darkness is exposed. So he makes, I mean, you see some comparison there, but, but you also hear him say that very first thing. He says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? He's basically saying, dude, there's 12 hours in a day. Like, like my time on earth has been decided already. All right, so I have this much time. I'm not gonna die yet, so I'm not worried about going to Jerusalem. But the other aspect he's coming from there is, dude, there's only 12 hours in a day. Like we only have this much time here on earth because our time has been decided. And my time is getting very close. And so he says, we don't have much time left to do what we gotta do, so let's go do what we gotta do. And he says, we're going, we're going to Bethany. And then verse 11, he goes on. Verse 11, he said, uh, says after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm gonna go there to wake him up in verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus, it says, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, fellas. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us, let's go, let's, let's go to him. He's not sleeping, he's, he's dead. So I, I kind of think this is funny um, because Jesus is like, yeah, he's asleep. And they're like, dude, if he's asleep, don't wake the brother up. Like, if he's sick, that's really good for him to sleep. Even if he wasn't sick, you don't go wake the dude up, all right? And then why would we walk all the way to Bethany to wake this guy up? That's stupid. And Jesus is like, okay, that's not what I'm talking about. He's dead. And, and they're like, why did you just say he was dead? We didn't know you meant he was dead. And he's like, well, I said he was dead, but you said he was asleep. And you thought I said he was asleep. And they're like, but you could have just said he was dead. He's not asleep. You said asleep. And he's like, I know I said asleep, but he's dead. And they're like going back and forth. And so finally Jesus is like, all right, he's dead. We're going to, to Bethany. Let's, let's, let's go. And then this verse 16 is, is really funny to me uh, because I can't read it without it sounding like a really bad Shakespearean play being acted out. It says, then Thomas called Didymus, which I don't know where that name came from. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go. I, I, I don't know why. I can't read this without him sounding like some terrible actor in a Shakespeare play. Like, let us go. <laughs> that we may die with him. And he slouches down in the chair. That's where my mind goes. It's weird. But, but, you know, the fact that he says this is really interesting because this is exactly how the disciples viewed the situation. Let me, let me read again what he said. I, you may have lost it in me being dumb there. But Thomas says, let us also go so that we may die with him. This really reflects the disciples' view of this. They, they saw Jesus going back to Bethany, suburb of Jerusalem, as totally crazy. They saw this as a death wish. For Jesus... This was a suicide mission. And the disciples are thinking, man, Jesus, you've got to be crazy to go back to Judea. And they were right. In fact, if you fast forward, I don't want to ruin the end of the story for you, but verse 53, it says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. I mean, this, this event leads to the beginning of Jesus' end. And they were right, he was crazy. And, and, and so again, like I come to this question, why doesn't he just heal the guy already? He's causing all this unnecessary grief and mourning and misunderstanding and frustration and relationship problems. But on top of that, he's putting his life in, in all honesty, unnecessary danger by doing it this way. I, I've told this story before, uh, but I'm gonna tell it again because it's awesome. Um, in college, I had three roommates, Brian, Ross, and Chad, and then I was in a fraternity, and one of my frat brothers, his name was Keith Sutton, we called him Sutton, uh, Backwoods, uh, Arkansas, actually he's East Texas, pretty much as bad as being from Backwoods, Arkansas. Uh, you know, he always walked around with the camo, you couldn't hear what he was saying, you know, couldn't understand what he was saying, and he'd always talk about hunting and deer and yeah, stuff like that. And, um, always had some tobacco in his mouth, spit cup, and spilled a spit cup in my apartment one time, really made me mad, but anyways, there was a stain for the rest of the time I lived there. Um, so we, uh, we got really addicted. When we lived in the dorms, we got really, really addicted to this video game uh, on the Nintendo 64 called New World Tetris. All right, it's not Tetris. It is not Tetris. All right, if you've not played New World Tetris, stop shaking your head, smiling like you know what I'm talking about because you don't know what I'm talking about. New World Tetris is way cooler and totally different than Tetris, all right? Very addicting. And we played this thing all the stinking time. So we, we, uh, it was Christmas of this one, I don't remember what year it was, but Sutton was graduating, okay? He was done at Christmas, and the rest of us, we're getting ready to leave for Christmas, so we're packing some things up, getting ready to go home. Sutton, he's packing up his, his dorm, because he's graduated, he's leaving. And so uh, Sutton was loading his car, my roommate Ross, innocent Ross, he's a youth pastor now, um, wouldn't hurt a fly or anything, 
And he's loading up his car. He's got one bag left sitting in the room with clothes in it to take back to Little Rock with him. And then I'm in there getting one last game of New World Tetris in. And then Chad, he's in the shower. And the way our room was set up, like, you know, the door could be shut and y'all could still talk to each other through there. And so we're having this conversation while he's showering. I'm playing New World Tetris, probably talking about sports. And then in the middle of this game, I said, man, I'm going to miss New World Tetris so much. And Chad was like, bro, I feel you, man. Like, it's going to be terrible because Sutton owned the game New World Tetris. So when he leaves, he takes New World Tetris with him. And so we're just talking about how much we're going to miss this game. And then all of a sudden I hear the shower turn off and, and Chad goes, dude, I have an idea. I was like, all right. And he said, uh, take the game and stick it underneath Ross's clothes in his bag. And when he comes back, he'll take the bag back to Little Rock. He's coming back in, the, in, in January, so we can't play the rest of the day. But let's think about the sacrifice here. I mean, one day, you know, we get it back in January as opposed to Sutton it taking it forever. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is a really good idea. And, uh, and then, but I'm also thinking, dude, like Sutton's going to be coming down here any minute to get his game because he wouldn't forget it. And Ross had left like 10 minutes ago to put stuff in his car. He's going to be coming back in any second. And he, if he knew he was about to steal something, he wouldn't steal it. So I, in my hasteful thinking, instead of just taking the game, I ripped the entire Nintendo 64 out of the wall and I unzip Ross's bag and I shove it under his clothes, which I don't know how he didn't know it was there because it's like 10 pounds heavier now. I shove it under his clothes, zip it up, and as soon as I sit down, Ross comes in. He's like, all right, guys, I'm leaving for Little Rock. I'll see y'all, you know, January. And he takes his bag, gets in his car, and starts driving to Little Rock. So the plan was to play it cool when Sutton came in looking for his game. Like, bro, I don't know what happened to it. I mean, I know it was down here last, but anyway. So uh, Chad gets out of the shower, and he sees that I've ripped the entire 64, which we own the 64. It, it wasn't Sutton's. And, uh, and so he sees I ripped the entire 64 out of the wall, and he's like, dude, I just said, put the game in there. I said, I freaked out, man. I'm sorry. I put the whole game. And so we're just like dying, laughing, rolling on the floor, laughing. And Sutton comes in while we're still laughing. He's like, hey, man, I need to get my game back. I'm about to leave. And so like this whole plan of playing it cool didn't really work because we're just rolling on the floor and we're just like, bah, you know. And you think he might be like, bah, that's pretty funny. No, uh -uh. he's like, I'm going to kill you. I want the game back or I'm going to kill you. And, and our closets, the way they're set up is they're just kind of open and your clothes hang there. He literally, he takes his arm through the closet, grabs all the clothes on the hangers, opens the door, throws them out in the hallway, starts grabbing stuff, throwing it out in the hallway, grabs Chad's laptop, takes it down to his room, sticks it in there, comes back, gets the TV, rips it out of the wall, takes it into his room, puts it in there. I mean, he just starts taking everything out of our room, freaking out over this stupid little game. But it's not. I probably would have done the same thing. And so we're sitting there thinking, all right, let's just let him do his thing. We'll get our stuff back later. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of silent. So we're thinking, well, there's really nothing else he can take. That's part of the reason it's silent. But maybe he's done. Maybe he's chilled out. So we open the door. He lived down the hall from us. We open the door to go down there and say, dude, sorry. Can we have our stuff back? And we open the door, and we start to walk down there right as Sutton is coming out of his door, uh, locking it, holding a baseball bat. And so I looked, and I was like, oh, you know, slam the door, lock it. I'm like, Chad, he's got a baseball bat. Like, we gotta do something. Now, the way our rooms are set up is you have a room here with a door. You got a room over here with a door. And in the middle, you have a bathroom with two doors, okay? About four foot by four foot, maybe three foot by three foot bathroom. Just enough room in the bathroom for a, a stand-up shower and then a commode where you could sit on it uh, only if you open the door so your knees could, like, stick out that way. So, uh, we're thinking, okay, we got to lock these doors because, I mean, he's coming with a bat. So I lock that door, and we get over to the other one, and 
Couldn't lock it in time, so we're like, crud, 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 crud. And so we run into the bathroom, this little four foot by four foot bathroom. Chad hops in the shower, shuts the door. I hop up on the commode, and I'm like this. I'm, you know, covering my eyes. And I don't know, maybe I thought he wouldn't see me. I'm just hiding there like that, and I'm just thinking, oh God, I pray that he doesn't know we're in here. And so we're just dead silent. We're hoping our phones don't ring or something. And uh, all of a sudden you hear one of our doors, the one we didn't get unlocked. You hear it, you know, you know slowly open. And then, and then he, walks, he walks up and he's kind of looking around. You can hear him moving stuff. And then the way our bathroom doors are, this is the reason I was up on the commode, is there's like about a two-inch gap between the door and the floor. So, I mean, you could see when he walked up. I mean, he's like a straight out of a horror movie, dude. So <laughs> you see his, you know, the tips of his shoes underneath the door. And I'm just looking at Chad like, don't see And then you hear this little, which I don't know, I guess that was for effect or something, but, and we didn't say anything. And so for about like two minutes, we're just standing there, and so is he, which is really awkward. But after about two minutes, he turns around and, and he walks away, and you hear the door to our, our room shut, and we're thinking, you know, maybe he just shut it, he didn't really leave. So we sat still for about three more minutes, and then we thought, oh, okay, he's really gone. So I was like, Chad, call Ross. Tell him he stole the game. Tell him he needs to get back here really quick with the game or else we might die, literally. And so he calls Ross and Ross is like, what? I stole what? And so Ross is freaking out because he really feels bad about it. I don't know why. And uh, he turns around. Anyway, so we call Ross and he's coming back. And just as he's hanging up the phone, I look over and underneath the other door, I see a shadow and I see his shoes and I'm thinking, oh, dang. And then next thing you know, there's a bat. Anyways, it doesn't matter, but... Sutton went crazy just to get this stupid game back that had been taken away from him. And I love that story so much because Jesus, in his passion, if you want to call it being crazy, he responds so much like that but elevated in order to get back what was taken away from him. And all of this that is happening in John chapter 11 is really to paint a much bigger picture because Jesus was, he was crazy about Lazarus. He was so passionate about getting him back. But what we're, but what we're going to begin seeing is this whole story is rooted in so much more than Jesus having passion for Lazarus. What we're gonna see is that this story is rooted in Jesus having passion for Mary and Martha and this group of people that are about to come in and you. So Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Bethany. Death wish, suicide mission. It's been about four and a half days since Mary and Martha sent this messenger to Jesus. It's been about four days since Lazarus has died. They wrap him in his grave clothes. They bury him, put him in the grave. It's been about three days or maybe two days since Mary and Martha got this message back from Jesus saying the sickness won't end in death. And then the time since word has spread to the suburb or to the big city away from the suburb of Jerusalem. And so people, just like today, I mean, when, when, when you have a big loss in your family, how do people respond? What do they do? I mean, they, they come to you, they cook you meals so you don't have to worry about that. They, they come and just sit with you and listen and hug and cry and all those things. And it was totally the same then. Mary and Martha, these next three, four days, just had people constantly in their house, bringing them food, bringing them flowers, bringing them, you know, just company and, and helping them deal with this loss. But all this time, I mean, you had people coming in they hardly knew, People coming in, they knew very well, family. <clears throat> but they didn't have Jesus, like close friend, basically family, nowhere to be found until finally, 
Four days later, Jesus, <clears throat> he shows up. And we see verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And it says, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, I can't help but think what this encounter between Martha and Jesus was like. First time they've seen each other after Lazarus has died. First conversation they've had since they sent this desperate plea, this desperate cry for help to Jesus, and he got basically got no, no response back but a card. I can't help but think, I mean, what was her attitude like? Like, what, how did she approach him? I mean, physical countenance, emotional countenance, what was it like? How was she feeling towards him? And look at what she says. This is where we start to see the answer to our real question of why. Why does Jesus do it this way? Verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, now hear what she says again. Lord, if, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I wanna stop for a second before we see what Jesus says next because on the outside, what Martha says, it sounds like, man, that girl has got some faith. Like she's just lost her brother, family member. And listen to what she's saying. Yeah, I believe that he's gonna rise in the day of the resurrection. And I mean, as I, as I hear that, you know, later on when Jesus is about to open the tomb, again, don't wanna ruin the story for you, but when Jesus is about to open the tomb and raise Lazarus, Martha jumps in the way and tries to stop her. And I think the reason that Martha jumps in the way to try and stop him is because I don't think that she really like believed that Jesus was able to do what he said he was gonna do. And I mean, without making assumptions, without putting anything here that's not here, maybe her faith was not as strong as it really appears to be. I mean, I kind of feel like she's given the cliche tough girl response in a moment like this. I mean, what, what do people say, you know, when, when, when their grandfather dies or a close family member or a close friend dies and you go to them and say, I'm so sorry, what do they, what do they say? You know, I'm so glad that he's with the Lord today. I'm so glad that she is in heaven, finally released from that sickness. I mean, it's almost like this cliche, like that's what you're supposed to say, which is why I think Jesus feels the need to clarify himself and say what he says next. Look at, look at verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You know, it's interesting that he says this. It's, it's interesting because this is not at all the first time that Martha has heard this about Jesus. I mean, you, you back up in this gospel, you look at other, the other three gospels and you see that Jesus has already said this about himself. He's already said that he is the only way to be saved from your sin. He's the only one who can give eternal Life. So this is not at all the first time that she's, she's heard this. And with as much time that she and uh, Mary and Lazarus had spent with Jesus, like you would think there would have been some personal conversations here with dialogue, with questions asked about this specific topic. Yet Jesus very simply and basically shares with her one more time 
the gospel. He says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and so on. When I was in Lubbock, um, doing there what I'm doing here, I, I had a student, his name was Zach, come and meet in my office uh, one day. And Zach, he grew up in and around the church, heard the gospel his whole life, tons and tons of times. And we're sitting in the office, and he, he, was, he was not a Christian. And uh, at one point in the conversation, I just, I just felt like I needed to just as simply as possible share the gospel with him not worrying about the fact that he's heard it before. And I told him, I was like, dude, I know you've heard this hundreds of times before, but I feel like I need to say this. And so he's sitting on my couch, blue couch, really comfortable couch, great to sleep on. And I mean, I just, I just started to say like, dude, we all have sin in our life. We've all done some terrible stuff. And, and even some stuff that's not that bad, but it's still sin. And that sin separates us from God. Like it's ruined the one relationship that we need to have, that we were created to have. And because of that, like, we cannot spend eternity with God in heaven when we die. We're going to go to hell. But because God loves us so much and has so much grace and mercy towards us, he sent his most prized possession, Jesus, his son, to come and die for us, take on the penalty that we were supposed to pay for our sin. And the Bible says that if we believe in Jesus, accept this gift of grace offered to us through Jesus, then that relationship with God can be restored. And when we die, don't have to worry about going to hell or be set, being separated from the one we were created to be joined with. When we die, we have the hope and the assurance that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. And I told him that, and it was really interesting because I was watching him listen, and it was like he had heard it for the first time. And I promise you, it was not eloquent at all. I mean, I, I could have just been reading it, you know, out of just a boring textbook, you know, like that's how it was said. And you could see it like he heard it. And he said, I mean, this is almost word for word what he said. He said, dude, I've never heard that before. And I almost started laughing. He almost started laughing too because we both knew that wasn't true. We both knew that he had heard it many times before. And in the past two weeks alone, I've had so many conversations with students, multiple conversations with students where We've been talking, and it's obvious they know the answers. Like, if I was to say, you know, what did Jesus do? Oh, he died on the cross for my sins. Well, why? But once you get to the why, I don't know. Or they might say, say an answer. I might say, so, so how do you go to heaven? You know, something as simple as that. And, and their answer has nothing to do with Jesus, even though they just told me Jesus died for my sins. Like, they've been around it their whole life, but they, and, and I can't help but wonder if there was a similar issue going on here with Martha. She'd heard this over and over and over and over and over. She was around Jesus all the time. She even had a response that sounded good. Yet. And so Jesus asks her, do you believe this? The very end of verse 26, he says, do you believe this? Do you really, Martha? Like, do you really believe this? And then he goes on, verse 27. Yes, yes, Lord. Martha told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So some new people have come into the story now. Verse 32 says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, listen, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, so now Mary comes running out to Jesus, and when she gets there, she's bawling her eyes out. She's lost all composure. And, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she says the exact same thing Martha does, Lord, if. Second time we've heard that word, if. Lord, if you had been here, if, if you had only been here, then my brother would not have died. And then you look at verse 33, Jesus' response. When Jesus saw her weeping, I think this is so cool. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, so you, now everybody's just crying, says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And then they say, come and see, Lord. And then it says, longest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So when he saw Mary run into him weeping, uh, he was broken. His heart was just broken. And, and listen to what it says about Jesus describing him. It says he was deeply moved in spirit. Think about, think about what that means. Like he was deeply moved in spirit. And then it says he was troubled. Now there's a couple things that I, I think this may mean. One, maybe, maybe he was weeping because he saw the pain and the sorrow of Mary. He saw the pain and sorrow of Martha and the Jews that were standing around watching. Maybe that's why he was deeply moved. Maybe that's why he was weeping and troubled. Maybe he was weeping out of just straight up anger at Satan. I mean, because all this death, sin, all this stuff is a root of what Satan tempted Adam and Eve to do a long time ago, so it's his fault. I mean, so maybe he's just angry, wanted to just wreck shop right now and all these spirits just, you know, kill them all, blow torch them, whatever, whatever his choice weapon would be. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why he was troubled, deeply sorrowed, because he was just angry about the situation here on earth. Or maybe he was weeping because he saw in them that they didn't yet believe. And you read on, verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him, talking about Lazarus? And maybe Jesus was weeping simply because he loved Lazarus, but I think, you know, again, I think this is more than just a funeral message. I think this is more than just what these people even thought it was in that moment. Because then you get to verse 37, it says, but some of them said, some of the Jews standing around watching, some of the people, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, if, third time we see it, if only you had been here, Jesus, this never would have happened because we've seen what you've been able to do before. So verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. I mean, the dude's been dead for four days. She says, by this time this, there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. And then it says, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Here's how I picture this playing out. So, so Mary and Martha, they come running up, or Mary comes running up, she's bawling her eyes out, then everybody starts crying, you know, it's kind of like that ripple effect, kind of like a yawn, but the emotional people, everybody just starts crying, it's cry fest. And Jesus starts crying, and then he says, all right, where did you lay him? And so he stands up, and I, you know, reaches down, you know, helps Martha, or Mary up, and then they walk to the tomb together, and everybody is following him, and they get there to the tomb, and, and the people following him have no stinking clue what's about to happen. I mean, they're thinking, okay, so I guess Jesus finally realizes that he messed up on this one, and Lazarus, he's, he's dead. So maybe he wants to see the tomb, you know, say his last words to his bro. Maybe he's gonna pick some flowers along the way, lay them at the tomb, stone, whatever, but that's not at all what happens because when they get there, he says, all right, 
move the stone. Now, just pause here because he says move the stone and probably two guys walk up to the stone and begin to, uh, you know, start to roll it aside. And I picture if this was a movie, this would be the point when the, the dramatic orchestra mu- music in the background, you know, starts to play. It's like, no, 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 no. It gets louder. No, no, no. And then Martha just like hops out in the middle of nowhere and she goes, Jesus, ew, ew. Uh, it's going to stink. And Jesus is like, oh, cut. Roll the stone back. Mary, come on, or Martha, come on. And so start over. Move the stone. Mm. Nah, nah, nah. And the dudes walk up. No, no, no. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden the tomb is open and it just, everything stops. Music's gone. Dead silent. They're looking in there. It's just dark. And everybody's standing around. And then Jesus does something that had to have been kind of weird. He said, Father. He starts to pray. Like, he just starts to talk to God. Which Jesus is God, so it's kind of like he's talking to himself. That's weird. So he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come on out of here, buddy. It says, the dead man came out. What? His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, well, take off the grave clothes, let the dude go. I mean, picture this, okay? Like, they open the tomb, dramatic orchestra music, blah, blah, and then it's like dead silence. Everybody's like, what is about to happen? And Martha's like. <laughs> and then Jesus says, Lazarus, come on out here. And, and it doesn't say people went in to get him, you know, but, but he's got his grave clothes on. So, like, he's wrapped up. Not like, you know, wrapped up, but like, Wrapped up and wrapped up. So, but nobody went to get him. So I'm kind of picturing this, like him coming out. <laughs> I mean, seriously, got to think about this stuff. Maybe he floated out there. Or like maybe this was a deep tomb. And when she says, Lazarus, come out. Like way back in the deep tomb, you hear this. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's like supposed to be the dramatic climactic moment of the movie. This just drawn out way too long, you know? So like five minutes later, you're just starting to see the shadow of this guy coming out of the tomb, you know? And then it's like, oh my gosh, Lazarus is coming out, but still another five minutes before you can get out to where everybody's standing, right? You remember at the beginning when I said, I think what we're gonna see in here is gonna be more than just a funeral message. And I think what we're gonna see in here is gonna be a lot deeper than we realize, and even a lot deeper than these people realize. I, I want you to go back to verse three, the very beginning, where they say, the the sisters, they sent this message to Jesus. 
Lord, the one you love is sick. Mary and Martha, they send this urgent message to Jesus saying, Lazarus is sick, he's sick, he's sick. Like, we need you to come help him feel better. But the irony is, when Jesus finally got this message, Lazarus wasn't just sick, he was, he was dead. I don't think we have a problem recognizing and admitting that we're sick. Like, we have issues. I think we can all say that. Some more than others. I'm just kidding. But, but like, we, we have no problem admitting that we're sick. We have issues. I think we all believe that, that. But the problem is we don't realize how big of an issue we really have. And, and so we feel sick. Feel. We feel sick. And so when we feel sick, we come running to Jesus asking him to make us feel better. So like you had a bad day at school. And so you come to church to feel better. Or you go to your community of friends to feel better. Or you're having just some really tough relationship stuff. So you think, man, I need to get back into church. I need to come start going to overflow. I need to get plugged to life group, community, whatever, to make you feel better. Or you can't get your job, so you think, man, I, need, I just need to get back to church so I can feel better. And, and when I ask people so often, like, so why'd you start coming to overflow? Or why do you, why, why'd you start coming to this church? And why do you keep on coming back? So often the answer I get is, because I, I love the f- way I feel. I love the way it makes me feel. Which is totally this, this consumer mind. Because in reality, when you leave here, and this may sound weird for me to say this, but when you leave here, like you should probably feel a little bit worse about yourself. Yet so much more thankful for who he is. But this, this make me feel better approach to the scriptures is really no different than it's, it's like you get a cold and so you say, hey, give me some NyQuil so it'll make the cough go away for a little bit, help me sleep, um, maybe make the headache go away. The problem is, the problem is we're not just sick. Because the penalty for sin is not sickness. The penalty for sin is death. And if you're dead, you don't need medicine. You need a miracle. And this is the answer to why Jesus did everything the way he did in this story. It wasn't about raising Lazarus from the dead. This was about raising Mary and Martha from the dead. This was about raising all those onlookers that came and were crying in that little cry party with Mary and Martha from the dead. And this is about raising you and me from the dead. Anybody who would read and hear about this story, and you see that in what he says, uh, two places he says, This is being done so that, verse 15, he says, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there. So that, what does it say? So that you may believe. It's gonna say the same thing next, so when I ask, just say that. So verse 42, I knew that you always hear me when he's praying before he pulls Lazarus out of the tomb, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, so that you would believe or that they may believe that you sent me. But look at what Martha and Mary and the Jews said to Jesus. You look at verse 21. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and it says, or she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 37, some of the Jews said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? If he had been here, couldn't he have kept him from dying? These three if statements. 
They show that they believed that Jesus could make them feel better or could make Lazarus feel better, but none of these statements show that they believed that Jesus could really raise this guy to life. And and honestly, I'm not sure any of them believed that Jesus had the authority or the power to resurrect this man from the dead, let alone himself. And, And if they didn't believe that, then that means they had the same problem that Lazarus had. They were dead. Because not only does the Bible say the wages of sin is death, it also says for all have sinned. All have sinned. And the, and the only way to be set free from, from punishment of death is to believe in Jesus. They didn't even realize it, but this whole story was about them. And even though they'd been around Jesus for years, they'd heard the stories, they heard the gospel, they heard about, they knew who Jesus was, they'd been told over and over, they, they never had truly believed. So the real irony is this. They had just wrapped Lazarus in his grave clothes, yet they didn't realize they were already wearing their own. It was the dead burying the dead. They were dressed just like Lazarus, wearing their grave clothes because they were dead. And that's the scary thing about this story. So many of us have been around Jesus uh, for years. We've grown up in this environment. And, and, and you, come asking, or you come to Jesus asking him to make you feel better when really you need to be asking him to give you life. My fear is that there are people in here tonight dressed just like Lazarus was. You don't realize it, but you are walking around wearing your nasty, dirty, smelly, ugly grave clothes. The clothes that dead people wear. Your heart might be beating just fine. You might have a great pulse, but the reality is your spirit is dead. And if you look at verse 40, Jesus says, Father, or back up, he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, talking to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Is it possible that God, like tonight, wants to reveal his glory, who he is to some of you? Because Jesus is standing here saying to those of you who are dressed just like Lazarus, dude, come out. Like, insert your name. Come out. So that's the question tonight. I know we went long, and I'm sorry for that, but making up for not having overflow next week. Seriously, like, are you the one that's dressed like Lazarus? Are you the one that's wearing your grave clothes? Last week we prayed for healing. But some of you tonight need to pray for life. Life. 